Now, maybe you have not had a carrot cake moment uh, like me. Uh, maybe your, your weakness, your vice isn't ice cream or chocolate or Pringles or Doritos. Um, uh, maybe it's something more like uh, retail therapy. These days, it's so easy, isn't it? You, you, you go online and you see all these, these shiny new gadgets, all these wonderful things, and with just a click, you can get it delivered to your door the next day. And they, they look so good, and, but sometimes when they arrive, it's a bit of a disappointment. It's not quite what you imagined it would be. It's not quite as shiny as it was in the picture. And you think, oh, oh but that, that thing there, that, that one on that website, that, that looks good. Maybe I'll, I'll get that one. And, uh, and for a moment, you, you're, you, there's the excitement of waiting for that parcel to come in the post. And it comes, and again, it's a disappointment. Or perhaps uh, uh, it's, it's more a case of uh, looking at the bank balance and thinking, ooh, after all that online shopping, the bank balance isn't looking too healthy. I wish I had just a bit more money. Um, and then a bit more money comes in, and uh, you think, oh, well, actually, it would be good to have a bit more. And uh, Actually, a, a bit more. But if you ask anyone in the world, they'll say the same thing, no matter how much they have, even the rich and famous. However many millions they have, they always say, oh, I could do with it just a bit more. It's never enough. Um, perhaps uh, you're very conscientious doing your, your homework and your, your studies, uh, and uh, it's, it's really time for bed, but you think, oh, I'll just study for a bit more. Uh, I want to get uh, a better grade. I want to do that homework. I'll just uh, do a bit more study, a bit more. Or maybe um, these days with, with work on, on laptops and smartphones, you can do your work anywhere in the world virtually. Um, and you might be thinking, oh, I'll just check that, that email. I just have to do that little thing. Uh, I'll just, just a bit more, just a bit more. And really, you should be in bed. But you're thinking, oh, just, just a bit more. I want to just get on top of this thing. But there's always something else. Or maybe it's, it's late at night and uh, you should have gone to bed, really. But you're preaching the next morning. And you're thinking, oh, but I, I just want to spend a bit more time preparing this sermon. Just a bit more. Just a bit longer. When really you should have gone to bed and you're tired. And then the next morning the alarm goes off. And because you didn't go to bed on time the night before, you think, oh, just a bit more. You hit the snooze button. And then the alarm goes off again. Oh, just, just a bit more. Just a bit more. Or maybe, and, and, and you get up in the morning, and uh, you're, you're taking your, your pills that the doctor has prescribed for you, and, and you're thinking, oh, it doesn't seem to be really hitting the spot. Ah, maybe if I just took one more pill, maybe that would fix it. And then you, but then it doesn't quite work, so you think, just, just one more, just one more. And then as you, you're, you're going through your day, uh, maybe you're, you're thinking um, of how to I impress your significant other, how to win their affections, uh, how to get their attention. 
but uh, you, even if you get some attention and affection from your significant other, you think, oh, but I, I want a bit more. That was nice, but I want a bit more. I want a bit more. Or perhaps uh, you're, you're into video games and, and you enjoy a, a game uh, and you, you think, oh, this time I'm going to beat the, the, the boss of the, this level. I'm going to win this game and get to the next level. And, uh, but then you don't manage it. And you, oh, I'll try again. Just, just one more time. And then you, 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 you win that game. I think, okay, now, now I'll do the next level. And I think, oh, just, just a bit more, a bit more. Or you're scrolling on your phone, looking at social media, and uh, you're hoping that, uh, well, maybe there'll be something interesting. Uh, just one more flick of the thumb, and there'll be something interesting. I, I might be missing out on something. I just have just one more flick of the thumb, see what's posted. Just one more, just one more. But it never satisfies. Some of these things have been labeled uh, online addictions. And uh, one of those that fits in that category is, is a Netflix addiction. Um, I don't know if you watch Netflix, but uh, um, you, you know, often you can, you can think, um, oh, I'll just watch a little bit of TV before I go to bed, and you watch an episode, and, and uh, as the credits r start to roll, um, the, the, there's, it says, watch the next episode. And the countdown starts. And you're thinking, oh, um, maybe I should go to bed. And you're sort of dithering, and you're half-heartedly reaching for the remote control. And, oh, it started. Oh, I might as well watch this one. It started uh, anyway. Um, and then that one ends on a cliffhanger. I think, oh, I just want to find out what happens. And you end up watching one more. Just one more. Just one more. Uh, I read a, a, an article um, in The Guardian uh, by this, this journalist, a lady called Arwa Mahdawi. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but uh, she says that she watches a lot of Netflix. Um, she says, I'm starting to worry that it's become a, an emotional crutch. If I'm feeling stressed or depressed, uh, I, I self-medicate by staying up late watching show after show. Netflix numbs my senses and makes me forget about everything else, which is welcome considering the state of the world. And just when I remember what I should be focusing on, five, four, three, two, one, and another episode starts automatically, and I tune out again. Entertainment has always been about escapism. There's nothing new about switching off by switching on the TV. What is new, however, is the degree to which Netflix, like all the big tech platforms, is engineered to be addictive. Netflix has turned unhealthy behavior into an accepted part of modern culture. It doesn't even try to hide the fact that its ambition is to hook us all. And then she quotes the CEO of Netflix, who says that Netflix's biggest competitor is sleep. But it's not just Netflix. We, whatever uh, your, your, your vice, your, your uh, addiction, your weakness, we just want just one more, just one more. And the problem is it's never enough. 
we have one more, and we want another, and another, and another, and another, and another, until it makes us sick. Another article I, I, I read by a journalist called Catherine Franson, she says that um, after watching Netflix, uh, she says she might be happy for a little while, but it's short-lived. It doesn't satisfy. She says, but then, after she stopped watching Netflix, then I feel sad that the lunches aren't packed for the next day, anxious that I didn't grade that stack of tests, and a bit panicky that I've only got six hours until my toddler starts singing her good morning song, and I know I need more sleep than that. So how do I manage? You see, these, these things, they, they promise so much, but they deliver so little. Far from giving us satisfaction, they give us slavery. Instead of making us satisfied, they make us sick. All of us are looking for satisfaction in one way or another. And it's not a new problem. It wasn't like Netflix invented this problem. So Mick Jagger, the uh, lead singer of the band The Rolling Stones, he sang back in the 1960s, I can't get no satisfaction. In the song, he talks about hearing a, an advert on the radio uh, and watching an advert on TV, uh, promising these wonderful things. If you get this product or that product, it'll make you happy. But, says Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. Even touring the world as a, as a famous, successful rock star, he still sings. I can't get no satisfaction. So the question is, how can we get satisfaction? How can we find not a short-lived moment of happiness, but true and lasting satisfaction? Well, that's where we turn to Ruth chapter 2, which points us in the right direction. So let's uh, turn back to Ruth chapter 2 now. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, that would be helpful. Uh, just to recap, when I started this series on Ruth, it was about a year ago. I don't expect you to remember it. But just to recap, uh, in chapter 1, we saw that Naomi had been in Bethlehem, and she had traveled because of the famine to the neighboring country of Moab. Uh, there, her husband and two sons died, uh, and she, she left Moab to go back to Bethlehem. But Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, went with her and clung to her. And when Naomi arrived in Bethlehem, she was bitter. She was grieving. She felt like the Lord God was against her. What she didn't realize was actually the Lord was for her. And Ruth was a, a, a sign of that, a part of God's goodness to her. And the chapter ends with this note of hope. So look at the last verse of chapter 1. It says, So Naomi returned, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You remember there had been a famine, there was no bread, 
They came back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And it's the beginning of the barley harvest. So that's where we return to the story. Acts 2 of the play. Uh, here we're introduced to Boaz. Enter Boaz, stage right. We're told uh, straight off, the writer gives us a heads up. This Boaz, verse 1, is from the clan of Elimelech. You remember that was Naomi's husband. So we're told right from the start, this guy Boaz, look out for him. He's a relative. And then Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go and glean. Uh, And she's hoping to find favor in verse 2. And verse 3 says, she goes to a field and she happened to find herself in Boaz. Now this is a bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, a bit of a joke from the writer here. It's not an accident, is it? God is working his plan and Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz, the worthy man from the tribe of Elimelech, a relative. And then Boaz arrives on the scene and verse 4, he, he, he prays a blessing uh, to his, uh, on his workers. He says, the Lord be with you in verse 4. And they answer, the Lord bless you. Can you imagine working in a workplace? Uh, you go to the office in the morning or wherever it is, uh, and uh, everyone says, oh, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place to work? Don't you think? I think so. Anyway, so the, the, uh, Boaz prays a blessing uh, over the, the workers. And then Boaz notices Ruth in verse 5. And he asks uh, the foreman, the, the, the man in charge of the reapers, Who's that young woman? And the, the, the man says, oh, that's that Moabite woman. She's been working uh, from early morning, uh, apart from a, a short rest, she's been working, gleaning. Uh, and so Boaz goes and speaks to her uh, in verse 8. And um, he's told her that he's commanded the men not to harm her in any way. So he's providing her with protection. You can imagine as a, as a woman, uh, a widow no less, all on her own, um, it could be very vulnerable. Perhaps if she had cried out for help, no one would have heard or come to her aid. But Boaz makes sure that she's safe. He provides protection for her. Not only that, he offers her water. You can imagine... Uh, doing the gleaning, picking up those bits of barley from the ground in the heat of the day in the Middle Eastern sun would have been very thirsty work. And I don't know where the nearest stream or river was. could have been quite a trek to, to get a, a sip of water. But Boaz provides jars of water. The men have brought the water. You don't have to go uh, for a long walk to get to the stream. You can just help yourself when you're thirsty. Have some water. So he offers her uh, water. And then verse 10, Ruth is overwhelmed by uh, Boaz's generosity. Uh, she says she has found favor in the eyes of Boaz. Even though she was a foreigner, a Moabite no less. The Moabites were were enemies of Israel. But she has found favor 
in, in the eyes of Boaz. Uh, she goes on and she says that Boaz has comforted her and he has spoken kindly to her. She goes back to work uh, and then it's time for lunch and Boaz invites her to, to join the rest of the, the workers uh, for, some, for some lunch. And uh, Boaz provides her with, with bread and wine to dip her, her bread in. And Ruth eats until, verse 14, she is satisfied. And she has some left over. Then she goes back to work uh, after this uh, slap-up meal. And um, Boaz has a quiet word with the, the workers. And he says, don't uh, stop Ruth from gleaning even among the sheaves. So you see, um, in the law, the law said that when you were reaping the field, the harvest in the field, you were not supposed to go right to the edge or right in the corner, but you were supposed to leave little bits on the edge for the poor people to come later and get some, some food so that they could have something to eat. But Boaz goes further than that. He says to let her pick up the bits even among the sheaves that have been gathered together. And more than that, he says, and pull out some bits for her. Pull out some bits from the sheaves to, to let her gather even more. So you see, Boaz goes above and beyond what was required in the law. He does more than was expected. And uh, the result is that Ruth has a, a bumper harvest. Uh, it says uh, she collected an ephah of barley, which apparently is about 22 liters. Um, I don't know how you can visualize 22 liters. Um, I've got a, a 10 liter kind of bottle, plastic jug thing in, in the garage. It's about that big. That's uh, 10 liters. So imagine two of those and a bit more. Um, one commentator said it was probably about 13 kilos. 13 kilos. About, that's probably more than one of these little children. <laughs> 13 kilos. And that was after she had thrashed, threshed the, the, the barley. So this wasn't 13 kilos of, of chaff and stalks. She'd beaten the, the barley and uh, the chaff had blown away in the wind. So she had gathered just the good stuff, the edible bit, the good bit. And she had 13 kilos of it. Such was the generosity of Boaz and his provision. And you, you get a, a sense of what a big uh, harvest she's got when she gets home to her mother-in-law. Uh, and Naomi says, where have you been working? Whose field were you in? And uh, Ruth says, uh, oh, um, his name... What was his name? His name was uh, Bo Boaz. Boaz. Nemi knows Boaz. He's one of our relatives. This is a sign of God's kindness to us. Boaz is a sign of God's goodness to us. And Nemi says to Ruth in, in uh, verse 22, stay in Boaz's field because he'll protect you. If you go to another field, you might be assaulted. Stay in Boaz's field. You can trust him. He'll keep you safe. He'll protect you. 
And uh, throughout the, the barley harvest and then into the, the wheat harvest, Naomi stays in, in, in Boaz's field. So they're, they're provided for, for those seven weeks of harvest. So you see, Boaz is a bit of a hero. Actually, when you look at Bible characters uh, that you learn anything about, um, it's quite rare, actually, to find a, a character in the Bible where nothing bad is said about them. It's all positive. And Boaz is, is one of those. Everything that is said about him, it's all good. Boaz is a bit of a hero. But you know what? I know a better Boaz. I know a better Boaz. Boaz uh, prayed a blessing on his workers and said, The Lord be with you. I know a better Boaz whose birth was foretold hundreds of years before. And it was said that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Boaz could pray, the Lord be with you. But this better Boaz, he is God with us. Uh, Boaz blesses Ruth, uh, prays a blessing over her. Uh, The the better Boaz, when he sees the children coming to him, and the disciples are saying, no, don't, don't bother him, he's too busy, you're not important, go away. This better Boaz says, no, let them come. And he gathers them up in his arms. And he blesses them and lays his hands on them. This better Boaz is the one who took his followers outside of Jerusalem. And as he was ascending to heaven, what was he doing? He was blessing them. This is the the better Boaz who preached on a mountain and in a plain. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Now Boaz notices Ruth, but I know a better Boaz. And this better Boaz, from the throne room in heaven, he writes to the church in Ephesus, I know your works your toil, your patient endurance. He writes to the church in Smyrna, I know your love and faith and service, uh, your tribulation, your poverty. He could say to the church in Cliddach, I know your works. I have noticed you. Boaz provided Ruth with protection. He could be trusted to keep Ruth safe. But I know a better Boaz. 
who called himself the good shepherd, who lays down his life for his sheep. When the wolves come in to destroy, he's there to protect his sheep, even at the cost of his life. He's not like some hired hand who runs away to save his own skin. No. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Those sheep are safe because the better Boaz is protecting them. Boaz gave Ruth water so that she could quench her thirst. But I know a better Boaz who sat by a well and spoke to another woman and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. On another occasion, when he was in Jerusalem, he stood up and cried out in a loud voice, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Boaz uh, was generous to Ruth. She had found favor in his eyes. Do you know what? And, and she recognized that she was undeserving. And do you know there's another word for undeserving favor? Grace. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor. Boaz uh, showed favor to, to Ruth. He gave her the extra gleanings. But I know a better Boaz who went to a synagogue and and opened up the scroll of Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he said, Today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Paul talks about him in Ephesians and says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And he says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Paul preached the unsearchable riches of this better Boaz. And he says to the Philippians, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in the better Boaz. To the Corinthians he said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul makes it personal in in his letter to Timothy. He says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, 
a persecutor and an insolent opponent, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in the better Boaz. The writer to the Hebrew says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might find, may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in Romans 5, we're reminded that this is undeserving. Paul says it was while we were still weak. The better Boaz died for, not the good people, the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, the better Boaz died for us. While we were enemies, just like the Moabites. Undeserving? Oh, yes. I'm reminded of that, that hymn, the, 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 like the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. 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 Undeserving me. Such is the grace, the undeserved favor of the better Boaz. Boaz comforted Ruth, but I know a better Boaz. Of him it is written in, in 2 Corinthians It says, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction. For as we share abundantly in the sufferings of the better Boaz, so through him we share abundantly in comfort also. Boaz spoke kindly to Ruth in verse 13. But I know a better Boaz. In Luke 6 it says, he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Back in Ephesians, Paul says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in the bed of Boaz, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Boaz gave Ruth bread but I know a better Boaz. This better Boaz said to the crowds, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And then there was a night, the night that he was betrayed, when he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Boaz gave Ruth wine to to dip her morsel in. But I know a better Boaz, who at that same meal, he said someone would betray him. His disciples said, who is it? Who is it? Jesus says, it is the one whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he 
he gave it to Judas, who was about to betray him. And then he took a cup, the wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Boaz gave Ruth so much lunch that she had leftovers. She had plenty to spare. But I know a better Boaz who with five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 men as well as all the thousands of women and children that were there. And they all ate, it says, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of leftovers. As if that wasn't enough, he he did it again. With 4,000 men, along with the thousands of women and children, with a few loaves, seven loaves and a few small fish. And the crowds again, it says, they all ate and were satisfied. And again, they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. This is no, there's no meager rations here. There's no uh, diet that leaves you with that gnawing ache of hunger in the pit of your stomach. They're satisfied. And the Bible sometimes describes uh, the future glory as being like a wedding banquet, a feast. The table is laid. All the food is there. It's delicious food. It's overflowing on the table. David says in, in, in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. There's this abundance. So, yes, Boaz is a bit of a hero, but he's not worth comparing to the better Boaz. He fades, pales in comparison, fades in the brilliant, dazzling brightness of the majestic glory of the better Boaz. It's like comparing a candle to the midday sun in the height of summer. I know a better Boaz. Do you know him? He is the one who truly satisfies, who brings a a lasting True satisfaction. He is the provider, the protector. He brings comfort and kindness. He is the bread and the wine. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives until we are satisfied. And then there are leftovers. His abundance never runs out. There's no scraping the barrel here. Your jar of flour and oil will never be empty. So, if we know that there is this better Boaz, why do we chase after these other things to fill that that hole? Whether it's Netflix or video games or work or study or pills or the money in the bank or 
whatever your carrot cake moment is, where you just want just one more, just one more, just one more. But those things, they don't make us satisfied. They make us sick. Instead of satisfying us, they enslave us. Those things are like broken cisterns that that don't hold water. Instead of drinking from the fountain of living waters, we try to drink from broken cisterns. No wonder we can't quench our thirst. No wonder we're thirsty. No wonder we can't get no satisfaction. So why don't we go to the only one who can bring true satisfaction, lasting satisfaction? Why don't we turn to Jesus? He is the better Boaz. Perhaps like me, you are a a follower of Jesus and you need a a daily reminder not to chase after those things that make us sick, but to turn to the only one who can truly satisfy and to cry out to God, just give me Jesus. That's all I need. Or perhaps you've never known that satisfaction that comes from Jesus. And if that's you, let me urge you again to turn to him. There was a a man called George Whitfield who, who turned to Jesus as a boy. He said he was addicted to lying, filthy talking and foolish jesting. But when he went to university, he met these this, this holy club and he became convicted of his sin. And he tried really hard to, to get rid of his sin. He would, he would fast, he would do all kinds of religious uh, observances, but nothing worked. He was so strict on himself, he made himself ill. He says for a, a year, he experienced unspeakable pressures on his body and mind. And uh, for seven weeks, he, he, he was in his bedroom with a fever. His tongue was parched. He looked for something to quench his raging thirst. He drank water, but still his mouth was dry. And then he read this book about Jesus that said that Jesus had proclaimed in the temple, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of him shall flow rivers of living water. And that same Jesus on the cross was thirsty. And as George reflected on this, his physical thirst thirst gave way to an awareness of spiritual thirst. And so he threw himself down on his bed and he cried out, I thirst! I thirst! It was the first time he'd looked outside of himself for his salvation. And in that moment, joy and relief came. He was a changed man. He says, I found and felt in myself that I was delivered from the burden that had so heavily oppressed me. Mourning was taken away from me. 
And I knew what it was truly to rejoice in God my Savior. But oh, with what joy, joy unspeakable, even joy that was full of and big with glory, was my soul filled when the weight of sin went off and an abiding sense of God's pardoning love and a full assurance of faith broke in upon my soul. Do you know that joy? Have you tasted the the living waters that Jesus offers? Or are you still hungry and thirsty? Turn to the better Boaz, the one that Boaz pointed to. Turn to Jesus, the fountain of living waters. Believe in him and enjoy an abundant life, life to the full. Enjoy true and lasting satisfaction.